Hello. <laughs> um, welcome back to those in the building and hello if you're at home. My name is Arlene and I have the pleasure of reading God's word to us today. If you have your paper Bible on you, um, flip to 2 Samuel chapter 3 and we're starting at verse 6 today and we'll be reading up to verse 21. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth said. So he answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day, I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David, I will make an agreement with you. But I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michal, son of, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Baharim. Then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back. Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, for some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it, for the Lord promised David, by my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. Then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord the king so that they may make a covenant with you and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. All right, welcome back, folks. It is great to have people to preach to, and uh, it's great for you to know that we don't all exist only in 2D, but we do exist in 3D as well. 
And uh, one of the Ds has unfortunately got a little bit larger for me recently and here as well. But anyway, uh, I don't know what's going on with my hair. I'll work it out sometime. Uh, I don't know whether it's a fade or whether I'm going for curtains, and I don't really know what those two things are. So if you want to tell me later, that'd be really helpful. Uh, COVID. Hey, it's been a weird time, and it's been a weird time as we've been disconnected from each other, and we can't wait for this to be over. But there are certain realities that we've been living through together uh, over these last four months. Realities that are stressful. And despite the restrictions easing here in New South Wales, those stresses and frustrations and things are still in our midst. We're surrounded by, continue to be surrounded by risk and change, and it all has an impact on us. I read some research this week by McCrindle on just how Australians are thinking and feeling as we sort of exit out the back of COVID And it said to me that people are feeling like their social health, their financial health, their mental health, and their physical health has all suffered dramatically during this period of time. But the thing that really got me the most was that almost three in five Australians have experienced increased feelings of loneliness in this time. There is just realities that even if you enjoyed the lockdown in part... Aren't we all longing for some normality and some peace? Won't it be good to go out somewhere and not to have to remember a mask and just to be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it? Uh, Of course, some people got that sort of peace back this week. If you have little brothers and sisters, they got to exit your house and they're no longer taking up your dining room table. Uh, I did see a number of photos on Facebook of dogs looking quite forlorn as everyone's now left the house and no longer playing with the dog. It will be great to put this whole thing behind us and find peace. But this evening, I want you to have that future in mind. But as you do, I want you to want to remind you of something bigger. There is a moment coming when this whole COVID thing will be behind us. But tonight... I want to remind you of something more significant and more important than even that moment. And the big thing I want you to go home with tonight is is that there is a life-transforming peace that can actually be yours now. The peace you will feel when the pandemic fully ends is nothing compared to the ultimate peace in which you can rest now. And that is better than getting your entire sort of office out of your bedroom. For those with grandkids, it's better than seeing your grandkids again. Now, there is a life and perspective transforming peace that we ought to grasp hold of. And I want you to grasp hold of afresh tonight. And we see it emerge in the life of Abner. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 3, make sure you've got it open. There'll be some verses up on the screen. Uh, But Abner is this ambitious rebel who we meet in the opening verses of our passage tonight. In in chapter 3, verse 6, we read, During the war between the house of Saul and the house of Abner, or the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. So here's Abner. He was the commander of Saul's army. He is an Israelite power broker. He's the guy who makes things happen. 
Abner is the man who appointed Ishbosheth as king over Israel, even though he knew that David was going to be king over everything. Abner is the guy who proposed that 12-on-12 battle between the men that we saw last week. Abner and his men went and fought against David's men recently. And all of that is happening while the narrator tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, that David is growing stronger and stronger while the house of Saul is growing weaker and weaker. But Abner is not deterred. Abner's the sort of guy who's like, no, I can see a pathway through here to strength and power for me. And so he's strengthening his position because he really feels like he's got this. He can create for himself a world where he is in control and everything is good for him. He's had setback after setback, but he thinks his best future is the one he's in control of. He thinks his best future is the one he can create. And so he keeps striving at it and striving at it and striving at it again. And verse 7 reveals uh, one of his most significant attempts at grasping hold of power and control. Have a look at verse 7. It says there, Now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Iah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine. Now there's some weird stuff in this chapter, I completely admit it. There's also a whole lot of weird stuff in 2 Samuel, but here is the whole story of sleeping with your king's concubine. If you sleep with your king's concubine or your king's wife, you're essentially declaring a challenge to the kingship. You're saying, I am stealing the kingship from you. I'm stealing your possessions. I'm stealing your treasures. I'm stealing your authority. I'm stealing everything from you. And so here is Abner sleeping with the concubine to sort of declare, I'm going to place myself in charge of the whole of Israel here over Ishbosheth. And so it's right that Ishbosheth is confused and questions him because Abner put him on the throne. And now Abner's going, No, I want the throne. But that's Abner. He'll do anything to strengthen his own position. Even sleep with the king's concubine. Even completely change his alliances. Have a look at verse 8. And this is the way he responds. Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth said. He, he wasn't angry because it was false. He's angry because he was found out. He was angry that his plot was dismantled before he could fully execute it. And so it goes on and it says, he answered, am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offence involving this woman? He's saying, I am the one in charge. I am the one who makes the decisions. I run the show. I can have the concubine because I'm in authority. There's no offence here. She is rightly mine. But as Ishbosheth questions him, he realizes he's at the end of the road with Saul and the house of Saul. And so he does what everyone has done in COVID and he pivots. Have a look at verse 9. He completely changes his plan. He says, May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath. And I will transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and I will establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Now, I read that and I thought to myself, have I ever seen 
another verse in the Bible dripping with such arrogance. Here is Abner declaring himself to be the Lord's power broker. He's essentially saying, sit back, God. You've got plans, but I've got this. In verse 9, he says, I will do for David what you, God, have planned. There's the banana lounge. Just lie down. Rest up, God. I've got this. Let's remind ourselves of the plot line of 1 Samuel into 2 Samuel. Who is the one who's going to put David on the throne? God is. Who is the one who's establishing David as king? God is. Who is the one truly in charge? God is. But Abner declares, I'm the kingmaker and I've got this. Essentially, when God made promises, he was thinking of me, Abner says. Abner, an arrogant rebel who knows the plans of God but makes claims and plans for power, for his own honour and glory. And friends, in that sense, Abner is just like you, right? Abner is just human, like so many people in every age, in every generation. He hears the word of God. He sees the plans of God. He understands what God is doing, but he just doesn't believe it. He just ignores it. He just doesn't want it to be true. Perhaps he thinks he knows better because with Abner... It's all about Abner. And now he's just pivoted to use God's plans to his advantage. Look at verse 12. Abner then sends messengers on his behalf to David saying, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me and I will help bring all Israel over to you. Abner's basically saying, I control the land over here. I control all the people over here. I control how things get done over here. So if you make an agreement with me, I will make you powerful and I will make you king, David, and you can get everything your heart desires. And the implication is clear enough, though, that if he chooses not to, then Abner's saying, I will make sure that David is never king. And he appears really to believe, Abner, that the kingdom and the throne and the future of the nation of Israel is vested entirely in his hands. And so here you have Abner challenging David for authority. And so how's David going to respond? We saw how David responded in chapter 1 when a guy came and tried to hoodwink David. He was put to death. And so how's David going to respond to this kingmaker, to this man who's seeking his own pathway to control and glory and peace? Well, how does David respond? When we look at verse 13, strangely, we see he responds with grace. Have a look at verse 13. Good, David said, but I will make an agreement with you. But I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michal, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Now remember that Abner knew David would be the next king, but he rebelliously appointed Ishbosheth. 
Remember that Abner grew his personal power and personally fought against the armies of David, even though he knew David would be the next king. Remember that Abner was even here seeking to build his own power up and up and up. Remember that eradicating Abner would remove the last semblance of power from the household of Saul. But David, in the face of all of that, shows grace and kindness and agrees to bring Abner close in covenant. And if Abner's I was prominent in verse 9 where he says, I will, I will, I will, well here in verse 13 what's prominent is David's I. He's taking the initiative in this covenant. David's setting the terms. David is stepping in. And not with fury against Abner's defiance but with grace and kindness, David shows a gracious hand of relationship to the rebellious Abner. And in response, Abner appears to have a complete change of heart. He he completes the terms of the agreement and brings Michal back to David. It's like an act of repentance, that whole moment, reversing the cruelty that Saul had enacted when he'd stolen Michal away from David. Abner then confers with the elders of Israel and brings them into alignment with David. Abner then goes to the Benjamites in verse 19, and these Benjamites are the ones who he sent 12 of their young men to death in our passage last week, and he explains with them face to face why they should come under the authority of David. And then when he comes back to speak to David, you can see how clearly he's had a change of heart. Life is no longer about Abner, but Abner is now a servant of David. Have a look at verse 21. He says to David, let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my Lord, the king, so that they may make a covenant with you and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. And you can see in those words the significant change in Abner. He wanted everything to be in his control, but now he recognises another Lord. He thought all would be well when he had everything in his hand, but he's come to recognise that it is actually God's King David who is on the throne. He was a maker of kings and a usurper of kingship, but now he's submitted himself to the one true king. And what do you find? What do you find when you submit yourself to the king? What do you find when you go to the king? What do you find when you can recognise God's king as the one who is on the throne? What did Abner find? What do rebels find when they bring themselves under God's king? Well, look at the end of verse 21. So David sent Abner away, and he went away in peace. That's what rebels find when they come to the Lord's king. And in fact, this is emphasised for us in the following verses. In verse 22, at the end, you see Abner's gone away in peace. In verse 23, at the end, you see again, Abner's gone away in peace. And friends, herein lies the beauty of the gospel. Uh, The news of the Bible is that rebels find peace because God is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. And he is abounding in love. And in Abner, we see a glimpse of this. A moment 
in which we see a pattern established that with God, by grace, rebels find peace. And in the case of Abner, that peace is substantial. It overlooks wrongs and it completely commends the contrite of heart. And that's what the passage is going to go on to show us. If you've been through this passage in your growth group, you'll see that, yes, Abner meets a vengeful death, but in the eyes of David, Abner, who was formerly a rebel, is now an innocent man. He is not a lawless, a lawless man, David says. He was not bound as a criminal, but he fell at the hands of the wicked, such that in verse 38, David says, Do you not realise that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day. Now it's hard to fathom those words coming out of David's mouth back in verse 6. But that's what this king is like. And this is the trajectory for rebels who come to the king. They find grace. They find honour. They find peace with the one who holds the future. And therefore peace in the present. It's a beautiful arc and it paints a beautiful picture of David. But friends, it's a beautiful arc that points to the even more beautiful picture of Jesus. For David showed grace and gave peace to one man, Abner. But Jesus, the greater king, Jesus, the son of David, he shows grace and gives peace to everyone. You see, what we're seeing here is the fact that God is in the business of taking wretched sinners like Abner, wretched sinners like you and me, and showing us grace. God is in the business of taking arrogant sods who think they can bring all of life under their own control and showing people like Abner and you and me kindness. We're seeing here that God who holds the future is in the business of offering peace with him, a peace that transforms the present. And Romans 5 tells us that sinners and rebels and lawbreakers are by faith in the death of Christ made right with God and given peace. Read with me Romans 5 from verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we've believed in Jesus, since he's died for us upon the cross, since he has washed away our sin, we are at peace with God through Jesus, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, access by faith in this king to a grace that sustains when you bring yourself to the king, when you bring yourself under the king, when you throw aside your own dreams of building your own kingdom and serving that kingdom, but rather serving the king who holds the future. In him and in that moment, you find a peace that transforms the present. When you connect with the king who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, when you connect with Jesus, you find a permanent peace, a greater peace, a bigger peace 
a more beautiful peace that does not perish, spoil or fade. Now, I know that a vast number of you here tonight, a vast number of those people watching and listening in, you know this peace. You know this in your mind. You know this is what Jesus gives to you. But as we emerge out of COVID, I want you to reflect back and think forward and ask yourself, are you actually living in the transforming power of this peace? For the peace we long for right now, that post-COVID peace, it will be great. But here's a little bit of news for you. It's going to fade away. And it's going to be replaced with another wave of frustration or another wave of disappointment, another wave of stress in some way, shape or form. And if getting life under your control is how you think you will find peace, if you getting your whole life in your hands and you having everything in your control is how you think you will find peace in the world, then you are living in a fantasy world. You are living in Abner's verse 6 world. If you're hoping that your power and your wisdom can create a peaceful existence, well, it's like you're trying to stop a war with a plastic gun. You might look impressive for a moment, but you've got nothing. Friends, the peace we need is the peace that lasts. That peace, peace with God for eternity that provides a foundational, transforming perspective to this life and its waves of disappointment and frustration and stress and regret. It's not, therefore, that we ignore everything that's been going on. You don't ignore those disappointments as a Christian and sort of pray, you know, Dear Lord, thanks for COVID. This has been fantastic. I love being alone. Or something ridiculous like that. But rather with Paul... We speak into and live through these moments in life, not as moments that trip our trolley, but as light and momentary troubles that don't separate us from God's love or God's care. Now, life is hard. That's just a reality. But knowing the peace of God enables the Spirit of God to proclaim this to your heart. That this is not all there is. And building your kingdom safely and securely now with your own hands is not what matters. Trying to create your own ex peaceful existence is not what really matters. Rather, we rest in the Lord because he's got your actual future no matter what happens in the next 60 years. And when you rest in that future reality, it provides a completely different perspective on the present. Now let me round this out with two little words of exhortation. And the first one is, I would encourage you to learn to live thankfully in this peace. If you've been stressed out to the nines during the last four months, 
if you've been overwhelmed by disappointment, if you've been overwhelmed by frustration, if you continue to live with uh, you know, all of that and a lack of peace despite your trust in Jesus, then don't hear this evening's message as a rebuke. Hear this as a fresh opportunity to reset your mind, a fresh opportunity to return to Jesus and to live thankfully in his peace, having the perspective of a future that just overwhelms the present. And I'm not standing here issuing disappointed looks to people who have been struggling. I'm certainly not standing here issuing disappointed looks to those who are struggling right now. But I am standing here telling you that your experience of life can be different when you learn to live with the foundational transforming peace that God brings. And I'm telling you that because in a moment of great struggle for me, I learned this. A couple of years ago now, six or seven years ago, uh, our eldest child had a stroke while on a remote island in Fiji during a Christian mission trip. And I can tell you, I was at anything but peace. I was angry with God. I was angry with life. I was angry with the world, but I largely managed to maintain a calm exterior thanks to High School Musical. And I looked fine. But in the midst of feeling out of control and all at sea, Michelle, our daughter, ministered to me through the scriptures as she found peace in the assurance of a future with God who is in control. And she couldn't talk at the time and she couldn't walk at the time or anything else, but she could work out how to get a Bible verse up on the wall of her hospital room. And, and this is what the Bible verse that she had on the wall says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. And it was in that moment that I came to realise, Nigel, you're not in control. You're never going to be. And Nigel, your pretense at being able to bring all things and find peace and control through your own efforts, it's never going to happen. But when you rest in God then his power is made glorious in me. So all this talk of peace today is, is not preacher's platitudes from me. This is not pie in the sky when you die or something else. This is my lived reality with Jesus. Because I've laid down my plastic gun and I've stopped pretending and I know that my future is secured by the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him I find peace. And whatever happens in the world, I bump up and down with that, but you know, I stay calm and thankful and focused on Jesus because I know he's got my actual future in hand, whatever happens now. And I found that the certainty of my future with Jesus provides a calm in the present, that overwhelms the rest.
And I want to encourage you to dwell in this, to dwell in the transforming power of the peace of Christ. Because he's got your present and he's most certainly got your future. Second thing, and just briefly, is we need to recognise that this peace is a word for the world. Don't be surprised when you live in this peace that it is one of the greatest evangelistic tools in your kit. For when your hope is not in peace now, when you don't get rocked by the things going on in the world now, but you're actually settled in the things of Christ now, you'll find that people will ask you about the hope that you have. And when they ask you about the hope that you have, be ready to give them an answer. I have this hope because of what Christ has done for me. So friends, behold our God, seated on the throne. Come, let us stop adoring ourselves. Let's stop worshipping ourselves. Let's stop trusting ourselves. And let's adore him and worship him and trust him and in him find peace that transforms because you're not in charge, he is. And you haven't got it right, he does. And he loves you. And he's working for your good in Christ in every moment that you draw breath. How about we pray? Our great God and heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. We pray this peace would guard our hearts and minds in all moments of anxiety we pray that it may overwhelm us and help us to put things in this life in perspective. Lord God, we pray that we would learn the transforming power of this peace and that we would learn to live in this world with eyes that see as you see and with confidence in the future that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks, Ben. Well, good day, boss. How are you going? I'm well, underling. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a hey, I really liked him, and uh, and I've I've had uh, I've had uh, four months of getting to know him before you guys, uh, and I'm I'm so pleased that we're working together. It's great. Well, I don't like you, so uh, let's just get <laughs> to the questions. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, All right, let's go. Let's let's start. The first one's actually a little bit controversial. Um, Hamish writes. Our growth group understood that Abner was innocent and that Ishbosheth was accusing him because he was threatened. What evidence is there that he actually slept with the concubine? Yeah, so it is, it is ambiguous, and I'll pay that, and good on you for your growth group uh, getting stuck into the passage and trying to work it out. I think there's four things that point for me uh, towards the fact that he did do it. Number one is in verse 6, it talks of him strengthening his own position in the house of Saul then straight away goes to speaking about him sleeping with the concubine. So one way of strengthening your position in the house of any royal family is to sleep with the king's concubines. So there's a connection between verse 6 and verse 7. Um, secondly, he never actually denies it. He never explicitly says, I did not do that. Uh, as other characters in 2 Samuel, when they're uh, accused of things, they explicitly say they didn't do it. Um, number three, uh, I wrote down uh, four things. Number three... Uh, he says 
in verse 8, Ammo dogs head on Judah's side, then he says, This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. But interesting that he doesn't say, I am loyal to you. He's loyal to Saul. And he's loyal to Saul in trying to preserve the name and power of Saul in a way that he thinks Ishbosheth is not doing that. And he's, I think, taken the concubine because he thinks if he was king, he'd be doing a better job than Ishbosheth would be. And then uh, number four, it's interesting then at the end uh, that he says, you now accuse me of an offence involving this woman. He doesn't say, you now accuse me of sleeping with this woman, but you're accusing me of actually an offence if I slept with her. But it would be no offence if he was claiming kingship and seeking to rule. It would actually be an exercise of his leadership and kingship. So I recognise the ambiguity, but for those four reasons, uh, I think that he did actually do it. Mm. Thanks for fleshing that out a bit. It's a bit complicated too when you're looking yeah. way back and, and getting the cultural understanding too, but thanks for fleshing yeah. that out. Um, Megas, Megas, how is David's request in verse 13 mm. one of grace when he's stealing someone else's wife? <laughs> and, and we see her husband's response. He's devastated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, come over to uh, verse in your Bible, over to verse 15. Uh, so Ishbosheth gave orders and had Michal taken away from her husband Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Bahurim. Then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back home. Uh, so David is a complex character. You don't say. Uh, I think what we're seeing here is the complexity of David. With one hand, he is giving generously. With the other hand, he is taking viciously. And so I, don't th I think we need to keep those two things separate. He's gracious towards Abner, but he's certainly quite vicious towards Paltiel. And there's the complexity in David. But what's actually even bigger here, I think it's setting us up to see a pattern, a pattern in which David has a predilection to taking women who are not his uh, to strengthen his power and authority or to attempt to. He sort of sees that he has the right to take women who are not his. And I just wonder how that might play out in the story of David. You'll have to wait until next February to find out. That's like spoiler alert. I'm not going to tell you any more. But next February, when we pick up 2 Samuel 11, you'll see how the woman stealing David thing doesn't work out so well for him. Don't steal women that aren't yours, and don't steal yours either. I wasn't planning on Good. it. Good. Excellent. <laughs> I, I, I must say, I actually like David. I like the way that the Bible's presented him, because that hasn't presented him as a shiny, perfect person. Yeah. You actually get the royal, raw, real deal, which yeah. is very relatable. It's excellent. I hope that in your growth groups, you're just you're dwelling on these moments where you sort of go, Oh, God's anointed king who's meant to be way better than Saul, but this looks dodgy. Yeah. And all the way along, he's like a diamond full of rough cracks and specks and horrible imperfections. But the diamond will rise before the imperfections crack it. Now I've given you a spoiler. Anyway, there you go. Last question. Steph asks, how can we discern whether God is working through us or whether we are trying to take things into our own hands? And I, I resonate with mm. this question. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, you want to ask whether you are genuinely bringing things before the Lord in prayer and actually seeking his wisdom in the things that you're doing. 
And so that's the first thing I would say is uh, if prayer is something that is just littering your life and surrounding the things that you're doing, that's a pretty good signal that you are in commune with the Lord. You know, you are, you are communing with him on these things. I think secondly, uh, you ask yourself, am I being guided by the scriptures in what I'm choosing to do? Or am I sort of trying to choose my own adventure? Am I seeking to have the character of Christ? Am I seeking to have, show the love of Christ? Am I seeking to, seeking to follow the ways of Christ in the things that I'm doing? And then I think in the uncertainties of the moment, not grasping after solutions or trying to work out what I should do, you know, I need to do something right now, I'm being overwhelmed with that anxiety of what should happen next, but actually resting in, waiting in the Lord, bringing about his solutions. Not, it's another question I think uh, that I'll deal with in Sermon Extra, where it's not sort of like to sit back in the sermon lounge and wait for God to do something. It's not sort of let go and let God, but neither is it God helps those who help themselves. So if you find yourself in between God helps those who help themselves and let go and let God, then you're probably doing okay. Because I don't think either of those things are taught in the scriptures. And it's that wrestle, isn't it? I think it's that wrestle that we feel in our day-to-day life of finding that balance between those two. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Sermon Extra. Excellent. Which day will it be? Uh, let's go with Tuesday. Tuesday on Excellent. the St. Ives Facebook page, you'll see Nigel... And uh, he'll be talking about Sermon Extra. 